As we begin reading in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 1, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan, and these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you to indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flocks at Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams." But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing gum and balm and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, which was uh, at that time was the price of a handicapped slave. They took Joseph to Egypt, and when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. 
A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Last week at, uh, at Lyft, at our, at our youth group meeting, we sang a song uh, by Lauren Daigle called You Say. And then this week, as I was thumbing through the news on the Internet a little bit, I saw her video on the, on the news coverage, and it said that her song had broken a new record. Her song has now been number one, I think, for 62 weeks in a row. And so I was thinking about that a little bit, and it, it is an impacting song. There's no doubt about it. It has a really neat uh, sound to it, and, uh, and the message is, is good as all. I know there's been times myself where I've uh, been driving down the road, and that song has been on the radio, and it's been a worshipful experience for me. I was asking myself this question. Why is that breaking these records? Why is it so much more recognized than every other song that's out there right now and for such a long period of time? Is it not possible that maybe that speaks to something uh, within us, uh, something that is maybe a need within our human experience, within our culture. And as I thought through the lyrics of the song, I think it does. You see, the song says, I keep fighting voices in my mind that say that I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I'll never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. And then it says, you say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. You say I'm held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I'm yours. I think that that does speak to a huge need within our lives. It recognizes it. When I look at what goes on inside of people's lives, even people that accomplish uh, great things, and you would think maybe wouldn't have a problem with it, still have a problem with feeling inferior. Still have a complex. It's, it sometimes shocks us when we find people that are maybe powerful, famous, different things that they, that they experience, different things that the world seeks after. But if you find out what's going on inside of them, I mean, how many wealthy, famous, talented people that we can point to that have taken their own lives over the last even five years? There's this feeling of rejection. And it, and it makes sense in one sense if you think about it because we're all living outside the garden. Am I right? I mean, when, when we came reading at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, when they were living in the garden and they were in that fellowship with God and they were in that uh, where God had provided for everything and all their needs were taken care of and their relationships were at harmony with one another, but they sinned against God and they rebelled against Him. And that put us outside the garden and outside of the acceptance of God. Now, He immediately went to work at renewing our acceptance, providing the animal, that would, the innocent that would die for the guilty and the clothing that we would get from the animal to cover our guilt and our shame. And the promise of this one that would come and crush the head of the serpent one day. And then it started to see, like with Abraham's offering of his son Isaac, or bringing him up to offer him a picture of God one day offering his son to pay for the sins of the whole world. And even this covenant promise is given to Abraham and then transferred to Isaac and then down through Jacob and into his family that we're looking at right now. We see God's promise to reach out to the whole world through this covenant. And so we see God trying to mend that rejection, but the fact of the matter is that mankind is no longer in the garden. And you know what? Outside the garden, that's what we feel strongly, that rejection. We feel strongly the fact that we just, no matter what we do, we can't measure up. And that's why exactly what it takes is what we've been singing about this morning. It's only by grace. 
It's only by the grace of God we've got to allow God to reach into our lives with His love and His acceptance, reach into our lives through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, through His promises, through His covenant with us, and as He heals that rejection. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is when I read the lyrics of this song, I think Joseph would be just tears in his eyes to listen to this song. Because look at what we see in the life of Joseph. Joseph is one that seems to be trying to do it right. He's trying to please all the right people. He's trying to please his father. He's living in honor and integrity before God. And he's having these dreams that seem to point toward doing something great. But everything he experiences in his life points to the opposite. He's going to feel this rejection by his brothers. In fact, if you skip ahead a little bit and look up into Genesis chapter 42, it talks about when his brothers are feeling the guilt for what they did. They said, we ignored his screaming. We ignored when he was crying out to us. And so he he could not understand when his brothers, he's going out to check on the well-being of his brothers. First, they're going to kill him. Then they decide to throw him into this pit. Then they decide to sell him into slavery. And he can't understand that all going on. And then he goes off, uh, gets sold into slavery. He goes to Potiphar and he does his best for Potiphar. And he gets accused by Potiphar's wife and he ends up in prison. And then while he's in prison, he does the best while he's there. And he is able to interpret some dreams for some people. And he says, just remember me when you get out. Put in a good word for me. And they forget all about him. And so he's rejected and forgotten and passed over time after time after time in his life. I can't imagine how many times he must have remembered those dreams and thought, well, how does all this line up? Where does the, their sheaves bowing to my sheaves come in? And you know what? Sometimes our lives are the same way. In our lives, we, there's also times where we feel rejection, where we feel um, like our lives are falling apart. And, and as one, one person said, you know what? Looking at the life of Joseph and how things end up in the end, he said, all the while you feel like your life is falling apart and it's actually coming together. And that's what we want to consider this morning is this idea of handling rejection. As we look within the passage, I see three keys to handling rejection that we learn from the life of Joseph. The first thing that I think that he did well was that he seeks acceptance in the right places. You know that old saying, you, you can please some of the people all the time and you can please all the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. <laughs> it's, just, it's just impossible in this world. And the fact of the matter is, is you're going to have to choose where you're going to be accepted. You're going to have to make decisions that decide where you're going to seek your acceptance. Joseph seems to have done it right. He's trying to please his father. Um, We recognize that he's trying to please God. And when we get up to Genesis chapter 39, we're going to see that in Genesis chapter 39, at least five times in that chapter, it says, and God was with Joseph. When he falls into temptation with Potiphar's wife, he says, no, I cannot do this great wickedness. I cannot do this thing against God. And so he's striving to find acceptance, to be living a life that is honoring and pleasing to God. And then underneath that structure of God, God has put the authority of his father over him. So he's striving to please his father as well. Now, there's some things, I think, within his family that are kind of stacking up against him a little bit. I think the affections of his father is clearly picking Joseph as a favorite is not a good thing. In any family where the parents pick a favorite, it's going to cause strife amongst the siblings. And it says here that Joseph's siblings could not say a peaceable word to him because of their father's making it so obvious that he was a favorite. Now, i got to admit, when we think through some of the things that we've looked at, it would be hard for Jacob not to at least be weeding through some of them. I mean, when we think of Levi and Simeon going in and destroying a whole village, that would definitely lower them on the popularity chart among the family. 
Reuben going into his father's concubine definitely knocked him out of the running. And so there are some things that, ja- that Jacob would have to look at among his sons that with some things that were not things that would make you too proud. But Joseph, on the other hand, seems to be one who was striving to make his father proud. I wrestled with this a little bit. How do I see Joseph? Because on one sense, when you read through the story, you, th- you think, well, it looks like kind of a snotty-nosed little brother going around telling on his bigger brothers, as little brothers do, and creating some more problems within the family, magnifying the problem that's already within the family because of the parents playing favorites. And you know what? On one sense, doesn't it just make you feel kind of comfortable that God's working in this family? It means all the junk we see in our families, he can work through that too. <laughs> you know? God's grace doesn't go to places because it's not needed there. It goes to places because it's so desperately needed there. And so I'm sure there was probably some of that, that 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 probably is the way some of it uh, panned out. But on the other hand, when I look at the character of those brothers, you know, whenever you're in trouble for something, it is never really the person's fault that told on you. I have an uncle that for a long time lived lived in a, a very rough way, and he was always blaming the cops. And he was he was the one guilty for he he was the one that did it. Did these things that got the cops involved? They didn't wake up that morning thinking, man, I hope I get to go visit that guy's house tonight at work. <laughs> Probably rather that he didn't, you know. But that's, that's one thing that I've noticed. I've counseled people over the years. I remember counseling one person. He told me, well, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And they were all things that I'm not going to tell you what they were, but they weren't nice. And then he began to say, and, and those darn cops, they just won't give me a break. And I said, you know what? Good. I literally told him, I said, you know what? You're exactly the reason that I want those cops there. Because you need to be off the street with the things that you're doing. I said, now, don't get me wrong. I want the best for you. I hope you get your life turned around. You get it straightened out. You get on the road where those people aren't bugging you anymore. I, I hope that things work out well for you as you change your behavior. But you don't change your behavior. I hope they catch up to you quick. It's never the fault of somebody that told on you. If you're worried about getting told on, just don't do anything worth telling on. And that solves the problem, right? It's our own behavior. And so the Bible does say that Joseph gave a bad report to his father about his siblings. And so we don't know what the thing was, but apparently Joseph thought it was something that was important enough that it needed to be taken care of. And so that didn't endear him to his siblings either. But you know what? At one point, who are you going to please? Are you going to try to fit in? with the oldest brother that went into your father's concubine, the two younger underneath him that slaughtered a whole village, or are you going to please the father? And you know what? In this, we start to get a little bit of a glimpse, too, of somebody else, don't we? Because Jesus, when he came, he said, I do always the things that please him. I I don't do anything that my father hasn't given me to do. We start to see a little picture. We're going to see a much larger picture before we're done with Joseph. Because he mirrors Christ in a lot of different ways, even his robe being taken from him. When, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he had one robe that was too good to tear up into pieces. They took the rest of his clothes and tore them up into pieces so that everybody would get a souvenir. But they had one robe that was too good for that, so they took this more valuable robe off of him and they cast lots for it. Well, here we see Joseph being stripped of his robe too. So lots of little things that point to Jesus Christ in the life of Joseph. Jesus said in Mark chapter 15 and verse 34, He says, At the ninth hour Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the point is that Jesus Christ entered into our rejection. You see, Joseph would experience rejection by his brothers, rejection by Potiphar and his wife, rejection by the the guys within the prison uh, in there. He's rejected, rejected, rejected. You know what? What do we see in Jesus Christ as Joseph's life begins to point us toward Christ? We see Christ entering our rejection. 
when Christ went on that cross, he would cry out to God, his Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why he did it? Because at that point he was taking the sins of us, the sins of the whole world upon himself, and the Father had to turn away from all that sin. So Jesus, who had always been one with the Father, who's always a complete fellowship, complete unity with the Father, experienced the rejection in our place. And it's through His experiencing of our rejection, His taking our rejection upon Himself, that we are able to come to terms with it ourselves. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now that's some rejection. He says when people are rejecting you in this way, doing all these horrible things to you, he says rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. On the other hand, he said in Luke chapter 6, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You know, Israel had a a horrible history. In fact, in in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is speaking to the children of Israel after they've murdered Christ, and then Jesus is risen again from the dead, he reminds them of their history. And he says, you know what, if you look back over your history, you guys have killed every prophet that God has sent to you. You've mistreated all these prophets that God sent to you. And who did you honor? You honored the false prophets. And he says, now you've killed even Jesus himself, the Son of God. Israel had a history of trying to please the wrong people. They're always happy with the false prophets, and they're always mad at the real prophets. And that's, you know what, that's exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. He comes and they put him to death. You know, in our lives, just like in the life of Joseph, he had to decide, was he going to please his dad? Was he going to please his brothers? He's going to please God? going to please his brothers. You're going to please God, your heavenly Father, or are you going to please the world around you, the world that wants you to go a different direction, the world that wants you to, to seek a different dream? We need to find our acceptance in the right places. But not only does he seek it to the right places, he also seeks acceptance in the right ways. As we look at his behavior that goes on from here, he just continues to do the right thing. When I look at him and the things that happened in his life, I think it would have been very easy. It would have been very easy for him to to say, forget it. This is getting me nowhere. I keep trying to do the right thing. My own family wants to kill me. They decide not to kill me, but only so they can sell me into the slave trade. And then I land in Potiphar's house, and what does he do? He just takes care of business. In fact, it says that Potiphar, he saw God's hand upon Joseph and put Joseph in control of all the things that he had where he wasn't worried about anything, even the food on his plate. But then his wife brings this accusation against Joseph, and Potiphar, at least, I don't think he completely buys it, but he throws him in prison, because he could have had him killed, but he throws him in prison. When he lands in prison, what does he do? He just does his best. And pretty soon the jailer is not even paying attention to what's going on in the jail, because Joseph is tending to everybody, and Joseph's got things handled. He just continues to do his best. And then he does a favor for these guys, says, remember me when you get out of there, and the guy forgets him. For two years he forgets him. Man, at some point you'd think you'd get discouraged. This lasts for like 13 years that these things all go on. At some point you'd think, man, you'd get discouraged and just say, forget it. I'm looking out for number one from now on. No, never. You see, he continued to find his acceptance in doing the right thing. Standing up, standing tall, doing the right thing, even if it costs him. He did the right thing. And why was he able to do the right thing? Well, I think that comes to the third principle that we look at, and it's just one word, simply trust. He just trusted. He knew the dreams. He had a couple different dreams that he was seems to be fairly certain that God was pointing out that he was going to stand in a position of honor at some point and his family was going to bow to him. And you know what? Eventually it happens. Because what happens is at the end of this thing, Pharaoh has dreams. 
And the guy from prison finally says, oh, hey, Pharaoh, by the way, there was a guy that interpreted my dream while I was in prison, and everything that he said is exactly what happened that answered the dream. So Pharaoh has him come out, and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And then Pharaoh makes him second only under Pharaoh over all of Egypt so that they could store away grain. The, the, the dream spoke of a famine that was coming, and we'll get more into that later. But he put Joseph in charge of collecting food to get ready for this famine. And Joseph manages everything, becomes second in command over all of Egypt. And guess who needs food during the famine? That's right, his brothers. And so they come to Joseph, and what do they do? They bow before Joseph to get the food for the famine. But not for 13 years. For 13 years, he'd be going through rough times experiencing rejection after rejection after rejection. Can we trust God when we're feeling rejection, experiencing rejection in our life? Absolutely. We've already seen Abraham struggling with it. 25 years later, God answers the promise and Abraham gets the blessing of Isaac. We've seen God faithfully fulfilling His Word. He gives these dreams to Joseph and down through time, He fulfills that dream. He delivers the world. He saves the entire world from famine through the fulfillment of these dreams that he gave to Joseph. In the end, the brothers come to Joseph and they're shaken when they finally recognize who he is when he makes himself known. And he says, don't worry about it. And you know why he wants them to not worry about it? He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Even though you had evil in mind, you wanted to do me harm, God meant it for good. How did Joseph end up in the palace? If Joseph's brothers had not sold him into slavery, he never would have been in Egypt once he was in Egypt. If Potiphar's wife had not made an accusation against Joseph, he would not have been in prison. If Joseph wasn't in prison, he wouldn't have been there to hear the dreams of the baker and the butler. And if he wasn't there to hear the dreams for the baker and the butler, they wouldn't know to commend him to Pharaoh. And then he wouldn't have been in the right place at the right time. As we said, when it looks like all of his life was falling apart, it was actually coming together. But you know what? It required these acts of rejection that he experienced in his life to get him to the point that he needed to be where God would use him to deliver the world. That's exactly the same thing that we see in Jesus Christ. What did Jesus come to do? Save the world, just like Joseph. Not save it from starvation, save it from sin. How is he going to accomplish that? Through rejection. You know, the Apostle Paul recognized that even in his own life, in his Christian walk that he would face rejection because of the gospel. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. In Philippians, he would say, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. So he tells them that they would need to experience some rejection, some suffering as well. And in Philippians 3.10, It tells us that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. When we look at this struggle with rejection, there's things in our life that happen through rejection. Jesus Christ would come and deliver the world, but it had to happen through that rejection. He had to be rejected by His own. He had to be rejected by the Father, even as He was on that cross, as we already mentioned, to fulfill the overcoming of the rejection that we experience. You know, we see a much bigger picture that's that's alluded to if we connect a couple of dots. Because remember, in the passage as we look at it, 
it describes, in one of Joseph's dreams, it describes the stars and the sun and the moon all bowing down before Joseph. And Jacob clearly recognized who was the sun and the moon and the stars. There would be his father, his mother, and his brothers. Well, you know, now we're at the book of Genesis, right, at the very beginning of the Bible. If we look all the way toward the end of the Bible, we find another story being told in the book of Revelation. And in chapter 12 and verse 1 in the book of Revelation, it says, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. So we see exactly the same picture that Joseph does in his dream. He says, we see this woman. And and what does this woman stand for? This woman stands for the nation of Israel. Just as Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and he's the sun, Joseph's mother, the moon, the 12 stars, the brothers that would make up the 12 tribes of Israel. So now in Revelation, we see this woman. The sun, the moon, the twelve stars. Who is the woman? The woman is the nation of Israel. And you see what's happening at that point is the promise, this promised one coming from this woman, coming from this nation of Israel. It's the same thing as the covenant as we've been seeing all along with the covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and now to Jacob. That through them, through their family, through their nation, would come the blessing upon the whole world. And so it's a promising of this coming one. It's the promise of Jesus Christ that would come. And Jesus Christ that would come, the greater Joseph, and how He would deliver the world, not just from starvation, but deliver us from our sin. And how would He do it? Through rejection. You see, Joseph was a picture of what Jesus Christ would do for us. The rejection that he faced in his brothers, with with Potiphar, with the, the people in the prison, the rejection that he met time and time again to get him to the point where he could save the world is exactly what we see in Jesus Christ. You see, God was doing something much bigger than just in the life of Joseph, much bigger than just in the life of his family, much bigger than even just that famine at the moment. He was giving us a picture of what would happen with Jesus. What happened with Jesus? John chapter 1. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You see the point that he's making? How did Jesus accomplish our salvation? Because that's the last part of the verse. We get to become children of God through all these things that happened. How did that happen? He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He came to his own, and he was rejected. He came to his own, and he was killed. And so Jesus overcomes our rejection with his own rejection. And so now we have the opportunity to be accepted. The Bible tells us we're accepted in the Beloved, and He's the Beloved. We're accepted in Him. So now we need to continue to do the same things that Joseph did. We need to continue to find our acceptance in the right places, in God, through Christ, and underneath that, through the different levels of authority that He puts in our life and over us. We need to find our acceptance in the right ways, by doing the things that are God-honoring the things that are right and bring honor and glory to Him. All that comes through the final thing, which is our trust. You know what? It gives us tremendous power 
in our life if we recognize that Jesus Christ has already taken our rejection upon himself. When we're rejected, it gives us the power to be able to say, he's already borne this for me, it's okay. Maybe even to say, he's bearing this with me, it's all right. Or even as Jesus told him back in that passage we looked in in Matthew, where he says, look back at the other prophets, at the way they've treated them. In other words, what he's saying is, if you're suffering from people, if you're feeling rejection from people because you've done the right thing, rejection from people because you're striving to please God, then you know what? You're in good company because there's a lot of other people who have gone before you and experienced the same thing. But how do we handle rejection? Find our acceptance in the right place, in the right ways, and trust the one that has already borne it for us.